Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, and this is going to be a little bit of a test of an episode, I guess, because Anchor has authorized me to do video podcasting. So this will be the first video podcast from Bandit's Keep, and we'll see where it goes. If you guys are on Spotify, and that's how you listen to these things, then you should be able to see the video. Uh, you should not be able to see it if you're on Apple, my understanding is, and I'm not sure about other things. So if you are watching on some other podcaster, like Podbean or something, let me know if you see video here. <laughs> so um, in any case, here I am. So I want to talk about a couple things in this episode. We'll do a few calls. I want to do some recaps and I'm going to talk, I'm going to start by talking a little bit about a chain mail, OD&D, Unchained, all the stuff I'm working on and the Lord of the Rings. Okay, so let's talk about the Lord of the Rings. I'm doing some headphones, so I look cool now. So if you're watching on the video podcast, you would know that. <laughs> so uh, over the New Year's, holiday. I uh, sat down with my friend Nikki and we watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This is the first time I've seen it since they were original in the theaters. That's almost 20 years. So uh, I gotta say they hold up really well. Uh, we watched the extended versions. I highly recommend them. They're very good. But it was funny because as we were sitting there, we kept talking about, oh, that's definitely fantasy combat or that right there is uh, is troop combat or this is man to man. <laughs> so it was just kind of one of the things we were just talking about. And, you know, as Nikki helped me a lot putting together the OD&D with Chainmail system. And it just occurred to me because Jason over at Nerds RPG Varietycast had mentioned, uh, you know, what systems simulate, you know, what kind of fiction. And I did call in and leave a message there. So I haven't heard it yet his response yet, but I feel like Chainmail, which makes sense, <laughs> does a very good job at emulating those epic kinds of things. Uh, so that would be Lord of the Rings. Clearly, I mean, the Chainmail Fantasy Supplement has, it even references Lord of the Rings, basically, but you've got your heroes, you've got, uh, you know, the troop combat, you've got all the stuff going on. And what's interesting is, like, one particular scene I was thinking of was where Gandalf, where they're in, uh, it's the end of the movie, and Gandalf was basically riding a horse through the castle. <laughs> And uh, the because uh, my my brain is slipping here. I almost said Garantha, but that's that is in fact Ruin Quest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, he's riding through the castle. He's got his staff. There's all these soldiers everywhere. People are dying. There's monsters coming in. He's knocking them down and back. And never does an arrow hit Gandalf. You know, never does anything uh, affect him. And when he rides to the top of the castle, and he um, and be that's because again in fantasy it, it, as a, as a wizard, right? Uh, maybe not, but as a hero. Um, he can't be targeted as long as there are some of the lesser soldiers fighting, right? So he's part of this group. He's raising their morale. He's fighting with them, and he cannot be targeted. When he gets to the top of the castle, though, um, and he faces off against the the, the guy with the dragon there, um, basically, that is like a fancy combat, right? They have like this little, little back and forth between them, and that could have been the end of him right there. But then, of course, he flew off because other things happened. Also, some of the other fun stuff that happened, like using light and darkness was it was a play, wet play which again is in chainmail you know does it fully does chainmail with OD&D as I'm writing it fully replicate uh, all of the Lord of the Rings no not necessarily but I, definitely the combat part was interesting uh, which is also kind of interesting because that all when you think about Conan the Barbarian you know the books especially some of the later I don't know later like mid of the middle of the, the the run he's oftentimes in a group of soldiers you know where he's leading them or what have you and you could definitely see this chainmail kind of connection there where you could emulate that fiction really well. It's kind of a bit of a plot armor. It allows for the, you know, the, the logical thing, of course, would be for your hero to always just be decked out fully in plate with shield and everything else. But that's not always the cool fantasy that we want to play, right? So it's, sometimes it's fun to have 
the you know loincloth barbarian cutting through people and you can do that with that kind of a game so i think that uh you know as far as emulating i think that the simpler this is going to be my my thing here and you guys can call and let me know i think the simpler the system the easier it is to get it to emulate what you want it to the more things the system adds right once ad and d adds rangers and says specifically what a ranger is and gives ranger magic spells right um that's interesting right it really kind of changes uh, or fixes in your mind what a ranger should be right at this point and then i think in later editions they allowed them to dual yield and things like that so all of a sudden now this is a very different thing than the fiction we're reading right a fiction of the ranger being uh, a, a loner being able to survive stuff like that in lords of the ring you, you get that but then i'm not sure i understand the magic but yeah what do i know let me know people that know more about lord of the rings than i do uh and rangers let me know uh let me know if you think that uh that there is a complex system like maybe one of these middle earth role-playing games that might do well to to replicate this kind of stuff um i did the kickstarter for one of the later ones the one ring i think was whatever one's the current one and i'm waiting for it still so <laughs> when that arrives i guess i'll find out but in any case let me know what you guys think what what uh what do you think about uh having a system would you rather a very precise system uh, that exactly emulates the fantasy or the, the world? And do you think that would be better? Or do you think a looser system where the people at the table can kind of shift and move? The reason why I'm making the argument for the looser system is because I feel like a lot of stuff needs to be a table or DM or however you want to say it, fiat, to make things actually work the way books work. So, because books are not games and that's just the way it is. <laughs> In any case, let me know. All right, so let's take some calls. Uh, Let's see if this works. I'm doing this video podcast, so we'll see. I'm actually on the Anchor site right now, uh, and it looks like the first call is going to be from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. It says Ninja City, so I'm guessing it's about Ninja City. Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Really enjoyed listening to your recap of Unchained and your latest episode. Great stuff. Very excited to play that with you next year. So if I don't talk to you before then, happy holidays, and... I hope all goes well, and I do look forward to talking to you shortly after Christmas next week because we're scheduled tentatively to play Ninja City, so I'm looking forward to that. Talk to you soon. All right. Well, that was, as I said, Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. We did, in fact, play Ninja City, and it was pretty epic. Jason did a great job running that game. Really fun, uh, simple system. He did a full recap on his uh, podcast. You can check that out. Let's see, next call is going to be from John. Your sword and sorcery system has a lot in common with Tiny Dungeon. You might want to check that out. Short and sweet, I like it. <laughs> I have actually played Tiny Dungeon. And yeah, I think if he's talking about the uh, the the kind of uh, non-combat part of it, sure, I think, I think there is a lot of uh, things that are alike. Basically, you got the simple D6s, um, but I think Tiny Dungeons still use ability scores and stuff. I could be wrong about that. Uh, the thing I'm not a huge fan of with the Tiny systems, even though they're fine. I mean, I've played a bunch of them. I really like Tiny Supers. Um, is that I'm not... It's, it, in those games, you really do a lot of character building. Like, you get, like, a base class, and you, like, add, like, skills, basically. And I'm not a character building kind of person. So, for me, that never did did it for me as far as the uh, Tiny Dungeons was concerned, because I'd rather play, like, a od d emulator or something like that. But Tiny Supers I really, really did like. So uh, I think the Tiny System is really interesting. And yeah, I'll have to pick it and look at it again to see uh, some other similarities. But I know they do something to the effect of if you're like the average die roll is 2d6, 
um, with sixes being a success, I think, or maybe fives and sixes. And if you're not good at something, you only get one die. And if you're really good at something, you get three dice. So it's real simple. It's a really good system. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely like it. And there's a million different tinies, right? There's like tiny dungeon, tiny wasteland, tiny cops, tiny boot, boot hill, whatever they're called. But they're basically all the different <laughs> stuff. So yeah, good suggestion there, John. Uh, okay, we got some more from Jason here. This one says Ziggurat. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Enjoyed your latest adventure design YouTube video. Yeah, ziggurats are neat. I've used pyramids and ziggurats before in adventures, but I think ziggurats just scream sword and sorcery for some reason. Not sure why, but anyhow, great video. Really enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking to you soon. If I don't talk to you beforehand, have happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that jazz. Take care. Yeah, you know what? I actually really agree with this. I think that the the ziggurat just has something sword and sorcery about it. Maybe because it's very pulpy, like you see them a lot in pulp adventures, whether they be even pulp adventures that are taking place like in the, you know, the, you know, nineteen fifteen or something. You know, they're they're exploring the jungles and finding these ziggurats. Maybe pyramids themselves are more we consider more epic, just because the you know we think of pyramids as but it's the big ones, right? Uh, although I'm sure there's small pyramids. Some pyramid expert can let me know. Uh, but for some reason, we don't think of ziggurats like that. We think of them kind of in the land with people occupying them. I don't know. At least I think that way. And maybe that's because of the fiction I've seen. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Ziggurats, very, very sword and sorcery. Uh, okay, it looks like we got a couple from Jason called one and two. So I'm assuming they go together. We'll play both. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Just listened to your latest YouTube video where you're talking about AD&D and creating characters and how do you bring the party together. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about AD&D, and as I've been getting back into it, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a really neat system. There, There's a lot of overhead in the system, a lot of complication, a lot of crunch, but, but I do think it's a really interesting system. Uh, you, you talk about, you know, naming a successor, doing a will, and then when you go to the DMG, it goes in detail how that works. So if you don't show up, like, you know, talking about having the local laws and, and, and how soon they can be named, you know, your successor and what to do if you show back up and all that. So, you know, there, there's a lot of crunch in there. As you know, or you may know, I'm starting up a, working on starting up an AD&D game, Play by Post. I'm recording this in the car. I lost the message, so I'm not sure where I'm at. As you may know, I'm starting to play by post AD&D game. And what I'm doing with that is I'm working with each each player to develop their characters individually. And actually, each player can play two characters if they want. But what's going to happen is they're all going to start traveling, not together. They don't know each other yet. But they're all going to start on a schooner together. Or, or all, all on the same schooner. And then we're going to go from there and and we'll see how relationships build and if the party forms and how all that's going to work once we start the game. But I'm working with each player to develop their individual backgrounds prior to the game kicking off. And, and they're each going to have motivations and each maybe going to have a mission or each going to have their own goals. And then we'll see how the, all that meshes together. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out. Anyhow, great video. Talk to you later. Yeah, a couple Good points here. What, what I think is interesting is I often hear uh, AD&D being referred to as like the tournament rules for D&D and like OD&D being, you know, the more loose rules people played at home and that they made those rules so it's really precise for tournaments. 
but there's a, you would never deal with successors and this type of stuff that Jason's talking about in a tournament. So I don't think it was solely made for that. I mean, maybe that's where some of the questions came from and they wanted things to be more exacting. But I feel like AD&D is a, uh, you know, TSR was getting letters from people, calls, whatever, that you hear all these stories, right? With people, guy X talking to people on the phone and stuff, like answering their questions. And I think what ends up happening is there's lots of questions. And as people ask questions, you know, guy X and various other people at TSR were like, well, this is how we would handle it. And then they eventually kind of put that all together and that became AD&D. That's the reason why you don't, you know, when you hear people say, well, he didn't even use all those rules. Well, probably not. You know, you might not use every single rule, but if somebody asks you, how would you do something? You might make a rule for it or show them how you'd make a rule for it. And that's how I always looked at the DMG. I know that a lot of people don't look at it exactly that way, but that's how I look at it. I, I think that it's really a collection of um, solutions to people's problems. As far as that play-by-post game, I'm in and uh, it should start soon, I believe. I actually saw something pop up on Discord, so I may already have the first post from it. So very excited. I'm playing a uh, half-elf multi-class, of course, because, you know, you got a multi-class, uh, ranger cleric. And I'm also playing half-orc, who didn't roll that well in their stats. So they just go to straight cleric. So that should be really fun. And uh, we're going to start on the boat. I don't know how my character's starting yet, but uh, once we get deeper into this, I will definitely talk more about it. All right, let's see. It looks like we got another one from Jason. Hey, Daniel, really enjoyed your YouTube video on creating the Medusa's Lair. Sounds like a really fun adventure. And, and I love the ideas you, you bring forth in these videos, the walkthroughs. I think that's super helpful to people. And I hope you keep, keep it up. So that's enough of me patting you on the back. I'll talk to you soon. There can truly never be enough patting of me on the back. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I appreciate the anchor community is very good like this. Um, a lot of times when you're just out there in the world in general and also in social media in general, you can do all kinds of stuff. And people will always be quick to point out the things you do wrong, mistakes you made, things you say wrong. It's good when you point out things that are that are good. So I appreciate it. And uh, I try to point those things out uh, as much as possible when I think of it um, to other people who I think do a great job. And Jason, of course, does a great job. I love building the adventures using the uh, the system in BX. If you haven't uh, seen any of those videos, basically they give you, I think 10, maybe 12, uh, like ideas of like base for adventures. And I'm kind of building one for each of these ideas. I'm rolling randomly at the beginning of each of the videos. And then I'm kind of creating an adventure based on what I can do, you know, looking at the what they lay out there. You know, in this one, it was rescuing a prisoner. And what I decided was they were the prisoner of a cult of Medusa which happens to be my favorite monster. All right, looks like we got just one more call. This one's from Hardy LaBelle, who seems to be a new caller, I believe. Hey, Daniel. My name is Hardy, and I'm a longtime fan of your YouTube channel, and I've been very much enjoying discovering your podcast over here. Um, I also started a podcast over here uh, that is sort of non-RPG related. But anyway, I just wanted to make a quick comment about your uh, your mini-games uh, comment. You had a kind of a segment where you were sort of talking about the fact that it's fun to have mini-games, and you described um, the idea of your players getting ready to sort of take a long journey, and they were going to roll some dice, and that was going to determine you know whether or not they 
got better equipment sets and, you know, um, got the extra mounts and all the rest of that type of thing. And the one comment that I wanted to make about the, the concept of mini games. Okay, well, it looks like Hardy may have got cut off and didn't leave the second part of the message there. Um, Hardy, if you're listening, please call in with the rest of your thoughts because I'd love to know what you think about mini games. Uh, what he's referring to there is uh, a game I was running, Crypts of Endormancy. And basically these crypts are, you, the players find a location or they know generally where location of this crypt and they're going to be traveling through these like glaciers or something. So it's really a, it's supposed to be like a struggle to travel. And you basically gear up when you get to the, uh, to the, to the town that's right at the bottom of the glacier. But I just didn't think that the players wanted to start the first session of a mini campaign with a shopping session. So I created this mini game so that they could just roll some dice and be like, okay, you've been here for this many days and you've got this much gear. Well, as it turned out, as soon as they rolled into town, they started role playing with the NPCs and doing some other stuff. And they ended up just <laughs> kind of playing through it. I mean, I still kind of just, uh, I gave them basically the best because I didn't even bother roll because their role play gave them you know, everything they needed. They actually found the best scout and they did all that stuff. So I didn't have to roll to see if uh, if they found them because they did it through play. So <laughs> in the end, uh, the mini game itself, I didn't really play out that much, but um, it was really fun anyways. And I appreciate the calls. So um, thanks. Okay, so the rest of this podcast, I'm going to be doing some recaps of various adventures that I have either run or been on. Um, the first one is going to be from... An adventure that I was a part of. It was from Knock Magazine. I think it was very heavily uh, modified, and uh, I've already been talking about it, so it's kind of already spoiled. So, but after that, I'll do um, two adventures I'm running. One is through Altan's door, and the other is the beginning of the Sea Wolf's Daughter from Hyporia. Um, if you do not want to be spoiled on those two adventures, then uh, you know feel free to cut off after the first one. So, in that case, I will just say thank you to everybody now who is listening. If you would like to call in and be part of the show please do so. You can you know, leave a message anchor. Uh, if you're part of the Audio Dungeon Discord, you can reach out to me there. And just like everybody else, you are welcome to call in and let me know what you think. Tell me uh, what you think I'm doing right and wrong and be like Jason and say all positive things and you will definitely get on the show. <laughs> no, seriously though, I would like to have a conversation. So if you have any uh, thoughts, feel free to call. Okay, so this first recap is going to be for a game that I was a player in. I've been recapping this all along, so <laughs> this is the final part of it. Uh, it's an OD&D game with Chainmail. Uh, Nikki from Infiltrating the Broasar has been running it. Um, it's basically, she's riffing off an adventure from Knock Magazine, number two, I believe. It's essentially a hex crawl, and just if you haven't caught up on the rest of them, I'll give you the summary to this point, and then we'll go from there. Effectively, we came into this town, there's three player characters, we're fourth level, and we came into this area, this uh, gloomy wood area, and <laughs> what we decided was, we weren't evil, but we were like, you know, we're going to try to take control of this area by kind of like getting in with the Count. He was a Count, possibly a Duke. Um, and kind of, you know, getting in, uh, getting rid of his right-hand man and becoming that person. That was our plan. So through some various um, adventures, we actually ended up picking up a band of orcs, a very large band of orcs, to support us. Because what we found was the Seneschal uh, was actually kind of running the place. The, the Count had been sick and... It seemed like he was in league with some bad stuff. So we were actually kind of building our own army. Uh, we we went in, we got summoned basically by this demon. And after being arrested, then breaking out and this and that, we ended up confronting the demon. And I believe that where I left off last time was we were basically facing a demon, which was pretty bad. Because even though we... Well, my character's 
fifth level, I think, because he's a cleric. But he's not even a hero yet, so he can't even actually technically fight on fantasy combat. However, because of some things that happened uh, in the game, I was able to for against this one creature. Also, we had helped out a unicorn uh, that had been corrupted, and it gave us a, sh a shard of its horn. Um, it said it could be a deadly weapon against the demon. So we were going down to Faithless Demon. So we basically are a human cleric, a dwarven fighter, and an elven fighter. The elven fighter uh, wearing, uh, brandishing, I should say, uh, a magical sword that we had found um, that had two wishes. So we actually had used the wishes already um, at, at the very beginning. I'm pretty sure I talked about this already. <laughs> Hopefully I did. Um, and now we're basically just facing off with Innocent Demon. So this was fantasy combat. And one thing that I'll say is this went actually a long time because the, the demon was hard, hard, hard for us to hit. But luckily, almost every circle around the table, because it was three of us, three play characters, um, I would say every other one, let's say, I didn't actually count them, but one of us got a uh, got a knockback, you know, or a clash, as, as I call it in the ODD system. And remember that if, remember, <laughs> tell you if you don't know, uh, if you get a clash, then what ends up happening is if that person makes a successful hit, then they don't. <laughs> so basically one of us was kind of blocking almost every single round, probably every other round. So between that and the fact that I had protection from evil up, so I couldn't get hit at all. Um, and it didn't realize that at first it was targeting me and then not being able to affect me. Um, that, that happened once or maybe twice. So after several rounds of combat, we, uh, we, the dwarf, using the, the, the shard from the unicorn's horn, stabbed it into the demon's uh, finger or toe or whatever. We, we didn't really know what part of it it was. It was like a giant claw thing. Um, and that effectively made the demon fight as a lesser being, which was good for us because it made us easier. To hit it. it made it easier for us to hit it. Um, so with the bonuses we had and everything, we kind of eventually took the demon down. Um, and we killed it. And we were like, aha, success. So then we went up the... Uh, up the the tunnel back the way we came it looked like some of the darkness had gone away we kind of went through the prison area and then up to the top to basically be triumphant but it was really quiet so we kind of snuck up and we looked and everybody there was kind of frozen like our orcs were in battle with the men and they were all kind of like frozen in time and we looked and they weren't like stone or anything they were still breathing but they were just like like almost as if time was moving either incredibly incredibly slow or they were like hold person because i asked i said well i have hold person as a spell um do i recognize these conditions and I did. So now we're we're thinking, well, Seneschal we know is a, is a wizard, you know, some kind of a wizard. So maybe he's got some kind of spell going on. Maybe just defeating the, the demon like that wasn't enough. So we worked our way up the tower that he was in and we confronted him. He basically asked us to join him. We denied it. And then we had a fight. Unfortunately, in that fight, the Dwarven fighter uh, died because it was a fireball. And <laughs> the, the cleric, myself, and the, uh, the character that was an elf made their saving throw. The dwarf did not. And gone so unfortunately the dwarf fell uh luckily this wizard had joined us at the battle against the demon the wizard from the beginning that we helped find his name again so the other player was able to play out the wizard for the rest of the session once we killed the seneschal we uh we heard the people moving around outside and they were going to start to fight again so we ran up to the window of the tower we tried to stop them and basically between myself speaking uh you know common and the other character was an elf that could speak orcish uh we kind of got our way to the they were almost like too confused to act because <laughs> they were like, we don't understand what's going on. We're not even sure what we're fighting. They were kind of in a mist. And of course, the orcs wanted to keep fighting. But we were like, no, no, we're, you've won. You know, as long as they put down their stuff, we're going to have a huge celebration. 
So with some, you know, some, uh, some role play, we were able to get them to stop. And then we were like, well, we still haven't found the count. We went up the stairs to where they were to his room, I guess we had, we'd already heard from, you know, Seneschal and his, and his shit talking basically told us where the count was. So we went up there to where he was and he was like laying in the bed. He was kind of really like, you know, he couldn't, couldn't remember what went on. He didn't know who he worried and know what, when it was. And he had been down for a couple of years. Um, and he looked next to him, and next to him on the bed was his uh, his female companion. And we looked, and she was basically dead, but her body was still warm. So we were like, hmm. And we started thinking, and we remembered there was a lot of things connected to names. So we basically all focused together and tried to call her name over and over again. And it actually drew her soul back to her body. So we were able to save her. And then, of course, by doing that, that kind of wrapped up, right? We we basically got in good with them. So in the end, we got what we wanted. We got in to be right hand men with the with the count, except less neutrally and more good. <laughs> so my character stayed and 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 started started a church there. You know, we got an epilogue. Uh, one of the dwarven uh, the dwarf uh, had passed away, so we had a huge funeral for them. The the wizard went back to wizarding, and the elf uh, worked with the relations to bring basically the orcs and the humans together, so they'd stop battling and create more of a, a peaceful community. So in the end, we actually, we, we kind of like um, got the, the humans and orcs to see eye to eye and kind of become a, a larger community. We got rid of the demon and that was a pretty successful adventure run by Nikki. Really, really enjoyed it. Great players. Everybody had a great time. So um, if you don't have Knock Magazine or you haven't got any of the other issues, uh, I highly, highly recommend it. There's, it's effectively, uh, Knock Magazine is effectively a bunch of like blog posts from all over the internet so i think a lot of the stuff you could actually get if you just search around for it for free but they put it in this really beautifully well designed uh magazine and this adventure actually was the cover of the magazine like you pull the cover off the, the slip cover and it's like an adventure on the inside it's crazy how, the way they use the space this magazine it's like a a master class in design so if you haven't uh, seen knock magazine i highly recommend it uh that adventure was super fun although i didn't know what the name of it was but it was really really fun Okay, so the next two adventures I'm going to talk about will be spoilers. I guess that was kind of spoilery too, but I'd already been talking about it. So <laughs> uh, next I'm going to talk about Through All Ten's Door. Our, we've had a couple sessions there. And then finally, I'll talk about uh, the Seawolf's Daughter from Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerer's Hyperborea. Okay, so this is going to be kind of a recap of uh, basically two sessions of Through All Ten's Door, which we're playing in OD&D with Chainmail. If you don't know what that is, it's a series of zines. They're basically on the third one now. Uh, ben Lawrence puts it out, beautiful art, and it's really kind of funky. You're going into this kind of weird, like, world he calls World of Wishery, which is almost like a demented dream world. What I'm going to do to keep this a little shorter, because I started to record it and it got really long, is I'm going to talk a little bit about the world, the world of Wishery, a little bit each time, but not too much, so that it keeps these actually kind of brief. So essentially, when you this world of Wishery is not a place where most people go, right? And the last time somebody had gone was over 100 years ago. But this shopkeeper, Oltan, found this strange door in his storeroom when he went to put some traps out for the rats. So he opened the door and realized this went into the world of Wishery. He's been charging people money to get through. You could put this into a campaign and like kind of work your way into it and stuff. But because of the nature of how we run this Thursday game that I plan, uh, we just jump right into it. We're kind of doing these shorter uh, mini campaigns that we're just like in the action, right? So uh, I just basically said, you bought the ticket to go through the door. And you're gone. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of it. Uh, we had a small party, uh, a uh, human magic, no, sorry, a human cleric, human fighter, uh, elf magic user, and a halfling fighter as a henchman. So they, they get through Old Inn's door and 
they effectively are in this strange place. It smells like a sewer. It looks very decadent, but destroyed and in, in ruins, right? So they come through and they're kind of exploring around. And one the, of the first things they discover are these three bodies. They're hung by the neck. They've been gutted. And they've got these strange masks on, almost like plague doctor masks, but not quite as long. They seem valuable. Um, but they were hanging from like a balcony. So they went up on top of the balcony and cut them down, which was very smart because uh, underneath them was traps. So, you know, basically by cutting them that way, they didn't affect the trap, they didn't fall into the traps. So they were able to loot these bodies. They ended up burning them um, and did some more investigation. And what they found was this whole area looked like it had been trashed by some kind of animal. There were claw marks in various areas. There were, all the mirrors were smashed. All the beds, because there's a few bedrooms here, all the beds had been like, the, the guts of the mattresses had been torn out. The sheets were all missing. Um, and basically, they found a bunch of white scat. Now, they did also find a small box. It seemed, had a seemingly magic item in it. It looks like a spider web, so we'll see what happens with that. They didn't have any kind of a detect magic spell, so they haven't been able to do that yet. They left that room and went into another room, again, more of a trashed room. But here there was like this red path on the floor, and it led in both directions. So basically, the room had three ways into it the way they came, and then the other two ways both had this red path. They decided to follow it to the west, and they went through kind of this strange bar area, again, trashed. Piles of refuse, more of this white poop. So they dug through some of that, because that looked kind of interesting, and they found some more treasure there. Some goblets, basically. And uh, they looked to the south, where there was an archway, but the archway was kind of uh, engraved with this very strange uh, scene of these, these people, very decadent people, partying and stuff, and then other people, like, running, cowering from them. So I think they decided that looked too scary. <laughs> so they decided to go further to the west, and then they heard piping. Somebody playing a, a flute. So, cautiously, they, they headed out, and they ended up in the small lounge room where there was more debris, more of this white scat, and followed the sounds further to the north. Now, they entered into this triangular-shaped room that, and again, remember, they're inside, there was this tree growing through the floor that these huge melons, these little more silvery melons growing from it. And it was uh, one of the player characters decided they were going to eat one, which, which is pretty cool because it gave them the ability to uh, know some strange facts about Zion law. Actually, two of them ate them. So now both of them have like some lawyery knowledge, which could come in useful. They explored some more and they found some books where all the pages had been torn out of. And just the covers remained. And the covers, some of them had some gold leaf, so they scooped those up for value. And that's where we ended the first session. So, you know, again, this Zion is very interesting. It's basically like, uh, a, a, if you imagine like a ball, on the top of it is, uh, the, the top surface of it is this basically this beautiful decadent city with like, you know, spires and people dressed fancy and, you know, doing whatever they do. And just really, you know, being drawn in carriages and, and all these other things. And then, that's called Zion above, I believe. And then Zion below is like hanging off the bottom of the ball. Uh, I mean, you can walk down there, it's like gravity, but it just, you imagine at the bottom, and it's got this white jungle full of ziggurats and strange uh, creatures and stuff. And then Zion in the middle, or I think that's what we call the middle, is basically like the interior part, which is kind of, a, at least where they are right now, is basically like a large sewer. <laughs> so they're in this area that's basically a... a next to a large sewer system which they soon discover because in the next session they move further north to follow the piping sound out of this triangular room and they encounter these strange people they've they're they're like huddled down in the dark 
they've got uh, their mouths are all black and their tongues are missing and they're, they're, they're gaunt and their hair is dirty and they're just all pale white. But the clothes they're wearing seem really fancy, but destroyed and old. They're uh, brandishing weapons, which <laughs> could have been a good fight if they wanted to fight because I was going to use man-to-man -man combat. But um, they ended up talking to him. Uh, these people cannot talk because their tongues and stuff have been removed. And one of the players, you know, I'm rolling kind of randomly. I'm giving a chance that they might know something because of the eating the fruit. Uh, and then you something about these guys because <laughs> basically when you violate certain very extreme laws in Zion above, you become what they call the guiltless. And they make you drink this concoction that burns out your tongue of vocal cords and blackens your mouth. And then they send you down to, to here basically to live. So they realize that's what these creatures were. So they were pretty friendly with them. And um, then they were just going to leave. It seemed like a dead end. And as they were walking out, the elf noticed, because in OD&D, it's an optional rule, but I use it, elves have an automatic chance to see a secret door, even if they don't say they're looking for it. So as they were walking out, the elf noticed there was a secret door behind these guys. So they went back to the triangle room, and they were like, hmm, we don't know what the situation is here, but we don't know if they'll let us get past, or if, if they even know it's there. So let's just get them out of the way. So the, the wizard went up, and the magic user went up, and... Uh, went back into the room and they were friendly and they were gesturing with their hands and he gestured with his hands but casting a sleep spell and knocked the whole group out <laughs> so they were asleep so the party went in opened the secret doors basically just to pull down a torch sconce thing and the room beyond was covered in dust so clearly nobody had been in here in a long time they went in they closed the door behind them you know leaving the sleeping guildless so in here they had, there was like a archway to the south and also the, the room had another door on the other side clearly uh, the back side of another secret door um, they went in the room to the cell and they found this really beautiful armor and weapons that, while they're functional, they could be sold for several hundred gold pieces. So they thought, well, this is a great treasure for us, but we can't really um, carry it right now. It's so big. And that's when the discussion happened. Like, why are we here? Because when I first started this thing, I just wanted to jump them into it. So I was just like, this is basically a treasure hunt. He's going to go in there, explore, find treasure. But they wanted a little bit of motivation. And it turns out that um, this, this uh, through Alton's door, has a chart you can roll on. Now, I'm not usually a fan of these per se, because a lot of times you'll roll and then the somebody, you know, you'll roll it and then like everybody, like, that's really cool. But then like one person will be like, yeah, but my character wouldn't do that, you know. So what I did was I had each of them roll and they each cut something kind of cool. One of them is a, uh, uh, had dreams of Zion and dreamed of seeing the city above and they can't get them out of their head until they see it. That was the magic user. The cleric is, uh, by because of their order, they're in search of certain books and stuff that can only be found here, supposedly. And the the fighter is a jaded hunter who's hunted everything that they could above, and now they're looking to hunt in the white jungles. So the, 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 the concept works really well because it makes them need to go all over the place in this world. So this could extend, you know, pretty decently depending on how they enjoy doing it. So long story short, they went, they went, uh, they left the, the treasure there because they were like, okay, well, we know we want treasure because we need that to like level up and stuff. And we know we want to explore and find stuff. So let's, let's not leave yet, right? Let's go ahead and uh, do a little more exploration. So they, they had taught, when they had talked to the guildless, the guildless had told them that the white scat was left by something that lived to the south. And so they were thinking a giant boar or something. So the hunter was like, oh, I like to hunt a giant boar. And the other ones were like, well, there might be treasure, you know. So they went down that way. And where did they realize? When they went back to the room with the bar and they looked again at those engravings, they realized the people that were cowering and running 
were the guildless. So now they thought, okay, our enemy must be down here. And they uh, they heard a strange giggling from the south. And when they, they the fighters said, I'm chasing it. And they ran down the hallway and the party followed. And they opened up into this large theater that had been destroyed, basically. They could immediately, their eyes, their torchlight flickered on this like huge statue at the far end of it, covered in gems. But the stage of the theater was all falling apart. And underneath it, you could just see stuffed with all the crap they had seen torn, like bed cushions and all sorts of stuff was stuck underneath. And crawling out, viciously coming at them, were effectively uh, pig-headed men with with their, um, well, yeah, kind of pig-headed men with uh, the the hands of children. So basically their hands and their feet were, were children's hands, which is pretty creepy. And they were giggling and they were charging at them. And that's where we left it. And there's a bunch of them. So I'm looking forward to this because if Odin D with JML excels at one thing, besides just being really loose, it's bigger combats. So I'm looking forward to this large combat between the group and these, uh, these pig men. So it'll be really interesting. They are not orcs. <laughs> For those of you who are uh, thinking, oh, pig face orcs. Uh, they're not really orcs. They're kind of like... Um, they're called the White Swine. And I don't know if calling them in men is really fair. They're kind of a combination between uh, a man and a pig, but they stand upright, you know, that kind of thing. Anyways, I'm enjoying it. I've had this first through Alton's door forever, it feels like. And finally, I'm like, I'm running this thing. And it is very fun. It is very weird. It is dark, and I'm making it a little bit darker because this group likes that. And uh, yeah, it's, it, we're going to see where this goes. So I uh, look forward to more updates on this if you want to hear them, or of course you could... Let me know if anybody's run this or, or is curious about it or has it because, uh, yeah, um, I, I know that it's popular, but I think I'm the only person I know that has it. So maybe not. Let me know. The Sea Wolf's Daughter, Hyperborea Adventure. So I've been running, if you don't know this, I've been running a Hyperborea campaign for whoosh, the better part of two years now. Uh, we just finished session 66. The goal was to play through because I've had them all. I've supported ever since 2E, although I went back and bought the box set when... <laughs> when I bought 2E, uh, or right before I bought 2E. But I've been a fan of Astonishing Swordsman and Swordsman of Hyperborea. So I have all the modules, um, and I wanted to run them all. So uh, aside from uh, Rats in the Wall and other stories, which I ran separately as one-shots before we even started this, we've been covering this campaign we started in Zimbala, and I'm playing through each module all the ways up, and this is the last module. They just came out with a new module for with the new Kickstarter, but it's a first-level module, so that'll have to wait for something else. This is a 7 to ninth level, I think so, and that's basically where the party is. We're in year one, so if you know anything about Hyporia, um, the, the, it's on a 13-year calendar, and basically year one is the middle of the winter, which means that there's only like an hour or two of daylight a day, and it's super, super freezing cold, and most people basically stay inside, and then when you get to like year seven, it's... There's no darkness at all, which is actually where we started. This campaign, like I said, 66 sessions, uh, we played, uh, and I think we were about five or six years into the campaign in campaign time. So we had jumped forward three, almost, and much even longer than that, we jumped forward three years here uh, during the darkness. And because the party had accumulated so much treasure, and because they have a shipping business and all the other things, it doesn't make sense for them to just keep adventuring, right? So... As, as they get higher and higher in level, I jump them forward a year or two years between each adventure because that makes the most sense. So in this case, they had taken on a uh, a young woman uh, who is the daughter um, of a, a Viking Jarl, um, the sea wolf, as it would be. And she had been training with the group uh, back in Cromarium. 
for the last couple of years and she went home for the holidays and effectively was kidnapped. There's a whole bunch of build up to this. I don't want to give too much away. This is obviously uh, going to be a spoiler filled uh, session recap. I haven't said anything so far that <laughs> that would affect that. One thing that's fun about Hyperborea, by the way, speaking of the, the year that's in is none of these modules say when they should be set, right? So like if you're going to run a module and like, like when we were in Zabala, it was, there was no nighttime. So really interesting to run it. And that's a big difference between running it when there's, let's say, no daytime or when it's even. So the time is really interesting, but that, that's an aside. So effectively what's happening is the party has agreed to go to this uh, Blackbeard's, basically took over an old Hepburn castle and pretend like they're, they're mercenaries for hire to join him in an attempt to basically rescue the Seawolf's daughter, Gunhilda. Um, once they get her out, then the Seawolf's going to come in with his men and attack the castle and basically take revenge, right? But he doesn't want to attack while she's there. So in this first session, we're just kind of getting everything set. People are talking about what they had done, where their characters had been, all sorts of stuff. Uh, there was a little bit of a hex crawl to get to the place, but they knew where they were going. So what's kind of interesting about these modules, too, again, I'm going to keep giving the sides of these modules, is that they always include a lot of extra stuff that you probably won't use if the player characters are on the adventure, if that makes sense. Like the way I've been running it is very, um, very much like, okay, this is the adventure. This is what we're doing. We're just jumping forward in years. But if you wanted to enter, if you wanted to use these in a larger campaign, they work really well because there's a lot of other stuff going on that they're probably never going to encounter because they're, they have a mission, right? So anyways, that's an aside. This was very true of the desert ship one where there was like a whole bunch of encounters that if you were on this mission, there's almost no reason why you would go near them. But then I ended up using them later on as separate adventures, which was pretty cool. But anyways, they do a bit of a hex crawl. They show up at the castle. Uh, they announce themselves as mercenaries. They're let in. You know, they're looking to hire mercenaries, so they let them in. These guys are pretty freewheeling Viking. They're like, there's about to be a wedding. So, haha, right? So they go and uh, they they go to the big feasting hall. They see the 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 uh, Blackbeard, who's calling himself king, up there on the on the on like a wooden throne with an empty throne next to him. There's a, an old hag kind of whispering in his ear. There's a party going on. They start to be questioned by people there. Um, and they kind of settle in. One of the characters is a witch, and he was like, oh, I'm going to start dancing and try to get my witch thing going on. There's a lot of cool character classes in Hyperborea. If you don't know about them, you know, maybe I'll talk a little bit about it if you have questions, whatever. But unfortunately, I rolled We did. I rolled an initiative against him because something was going to happen. And I was like, if you win the initiative, I'll let you finish the dance before this happens. But unfortunately, he did not. So... Um, he didn't finish his dance, which means he didn't get the cast a spell. Um, and somebody busts in, essentially. In fact, well, basically, the Black Bears stood up and silenced everybody, so we had to stop dancing, and said, where's my bride? And somebody ran to get her, and fortunately, two of the player characters followed them. It was busy enough and crazy enough with stuff going on that nobody really noticed them. And they went to the, he went to the room, he opened it up uh, where, the, where the woman should be, and then he like gasped and turned around and ran back. So of course the player characters went to the room and looked and what they saw inside the room was two dead guards and two handmaidens knocked unconscious and beat up and blood everywhere so of course because my players are smart they start to investigate right away they're looking around they're trying to figure out what went on and this this uh you know the one viking runs back to the great hall announces what's going on oh she's missing whatever and then uh Blackbeard's like, well, you gotta find out. He starts moving forward with his men. One of the other player characters is like, says something, and uh, it's like, you know about these kind of things. You're coming with us. So basically, drew the player characters in. Um, so they were all kind of there. So in the meantime, while that's going on, 
the one player character finds that there's handprints on the ground, like bloody handprints that lead to basically what looks appears to be a trap door. Um, and the tread in the latch has blood on it. So they all come in and then he covers it up. Basically, he's like, oh, I thought I saw something, but it was going the other direction. And they convince basically uh, everybody to that they're going to investigate this area. And that, you know, whatever. So basically, Blackbeard starts sending people out to investigate the grounds, thinking that she must have left. So uh, they have a little bit of time. They lock, they bar the door to this room. They open the trap door. They go down. Now they're in this, like, weird Hyperborean basement that's obviously people don't know that's been here. There's a trail of blood. There's spider webs everywhere. There's a lot of, like, uh, ruin, ruinous areas where, like, columns have fallen over. Following the trail of blood, they see that it goes through this iron door, this rusted iron door. They go through the rusted iron door. They follow the blood trail some more. They're in this kind of like jail cell area. They avoid all that stuff because they're just trying to get to where they're going. They follow the blood trail to another rusted iron door. They bust through it. They uh, they see there's like a cliff over there that's kind of overhanging, and they can actually see that the water, they're actually outside. They're on the outside of the, the building at this point. Uh, and there's like, it kind of swings under almost like the way, that like, you know, waterfalls have a cut out underneath. And there's a rope dangling there. So they look, and the rope looks like it's broken. It's only about 20 feet long, and the drop is like 60 feet. So the witch flies down on the broom and investigates and doesn't see anything right at the bottom, so then sends the broom back and forth to carry down each individual player character. So that takes a little while. Of course, I'm tracking the time because clearly somebody's going to invest, want to know where these new people are that, you know, that are investigating this one area. So eventually somebody's going to follow them. But the dice were on their side, luckily, so nobody followed him immediately. And they um, they went and they found the girl. They had a little interaction with her. And basically, they had been told to bring her this, like, iron rod, which when they gave it to her, it turned into a giant spear. And uh, it, she had this, like, beautiful, magical spear. And she said, why, well, I, I thank you for trying to rescue me, but you can tell my father I'm not coming. This is uh, an omen that brought me here. I sensed the creature that killed my mother when I was only 12 years old. And I must destroy this creature. So the party kind of thinks about it for a second. And they say, we're going to help you. Uh, because they didn't want to leave her there. And they, they told me after the fact. <laughs> and they were like, oh, we're thinking about maybe like trying to capture her or whatever. But they didn't do that. They said, Let, you know, let's just go along. So at this point, I had a little kind of out of character quick conversation. I said, listen, she's being led somewhat. But it's your adventure. You're the player. So I'm not going to have her tell you where to go. You're going to have to lead the way. She's inexperienced. She's going to follow you. As long as you continue helping her, you know, in the sense that you're looking for this uh, this creature. So they're like, cool. So they crossed the little bit of water area. They went into this old temple, which had this statue of like, uh, this giant worm with like a man's head inside of it. And the head had these huge diamond gems in its eyes. They looked like they were incredibly valuable. And of course, they didn't take them because, <laughs> because they have to help the girl. And they knew that taking those gems were probably an issue. These are high-level adventurers. They've been through this stuff before. They, they noted it. They were like, we're going to come back. You know, we're going to figure out what this is and we'll get it. But almost certainly this is going to slow us down. So, but while they were there, they kind of looked and they were kind of like these the shelf areas above, like a, like natural stone shelves. And each one was stashed, stacked with treasure, um, including a set of copper armor, a chainmail armor and shield that looked brand new. So brand new armor that's been stuck down here for a thousand years. It's magic, right? So without having to cast any spell or whatever, they just grabbed that armor. Uh, and they ended up giving it to Gunhilda to wear because they all had good magic armor and stuff, so or the best armor they could wear. So now she's got this magical spear. She's got this uh, this suit of copper chainmail and a shield. So she's ready to fight, you know, which is good because uh, again she wants to fight this creature that killed her mother. And uh, they took a little bit out of the treasure and then they left. 
they went down and they found this area that had all these snails that were like fist size. And these fist side snails were like glass. You could see through them. And they had this like weird purple liquid inside. And one of the magicians I rolled that they would know this, uh, that this these snails are called glass snails and that the ink is very valuable because it's used for making scrolls. However, they didn't roll high enough for them to let them know exactly what it was, but they know that the reason why they're so expensive, the ink, is because these snails are super dangerous. So there was this discussion about how they might try to take the snails, get rid of them, get past them, whatever, because it was a passageway past them. But there was another passageway that wasn't blocked, so they were just like, we're going to go this way. So they went the non-blocked way, and they, they ran into a room that was like a 15-foot tall like cliff going up to get to the next level, and it was covered in mosses. And so, again, like I said, this is, these are seventh and ninth level characters. Inside this thing is like centipedes, which if anybody played D&D, they're like half hit die or whatever, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not going to play out of combat with centipedes or the high level characters. It's just not going to be effective use of table time. So I just allowed that they saw it. I'm like, you can see this stuff crawling around in there. And... What they ended up doing after some debate and taking some time trying to figure out what they wanted to do, they ended up tossing a fireball into the room and just trashing the whole thing. And I think that worked perfectly because the whole point of uh, a monster in that kind of situation, even in low levels, is really to slow people down because remember, they're being chased. And because they had to discuss it and because they had to decide what they wanted to do and because they had to use a resource, I felt like that was a good balance. So personally, that was the call I made there. You might do it differently if you were running it. But as it turned out, it was perfect because the fireball went off they were like, okay, we're going to go check it out. And they headed towards the cliff and I rolled and that was the perfect time where the other, basically what is called the wolf pack, um, which is um, which is funny because the other guy's Blackbeard and Seal. But anyways, the wolf pack, <laughs> um, I guess wolf is popular for Vikings. The wolf pack who are the nine NPC, like classed NPCs that follow this Blackbeard were following the player characters because of course they found the blood trail. Um, and we ended at that point. So the next session is going to open with a combat with the six PCs plus an NPC, two NPCs, I guess, uh, against uh, nine NPCs. That's going to be a big combat. I'm not a huge fan of big combats in a more complex game like Hyperborea. Uh, as I said in the OD&D game, I love that. You know, three or four play characters against 20 people, those combats go so fast. This might be a little longer. I guess I'll let you know in the next follow-up. So if you've run this module or you want to run it or you have some other feedback you just want to give me in general, let me know. If there's anything else you want to talk about that uh, I talked about in this episode or in previous episodes, let me know. You can always call in, guys. Uh, leave a message, and I will play it on the show, and we'll talk about it. And otherwise, I'll see you next time. Bye.